to him before we receive his word, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is no competition, that you are alone in the heavens, that you do what you please, that you are God and there is no one, no one like you. God, would you help us today to be reminded of your great power, of your nearness, of your ability to conquer. Sometimes, Father, the faith and walking and living out the faith feels like an uphill battle, and yet, God, we ask that today we would get a glimpse of your glory and of your grace in a way that would give us confidence in what you're doing and who you are and what you're up to in the world. Help us to see the glory of Jesus to walk out of your believing that our God is greater, that our God is stronger. We've given way too much credit to things that are rivals to you. So teach us in that, instruct our hearts in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning, uh, we would normally dismiss kids, but today we're not. Um, because we're going to have family service today, which means uh, we have it all together uh, as one big church. We, uh, we acknowledge that parents are kind of the primary shepherds of children, and yet we believe the body of Christ has a role in that and an important role in that. And so um, this is a reminder of that and it helps us to uh, remember that greater desire to disciple uh, kids in the faith. So... That's what we get to do today, and uh, we have a great text to look at today. Um, I'm excited about what this text teaches us. So before we jump in, I want to get the kids up to speed about what's been going on in this book, okay? We've been studying in the book of 1 Samuel. We've been preaching through that, okay? And at this point, um, God has made it clear that... that, uh, Israel's king that they picked, this guy named Saul, was not a good choice. He was not a good choice. He was tall, he was handsome, he was so impressive to all the people, but his heart was not impressive to God. And so he made bad decisions, he disobeyed, he, he, in important moments he blew it. And so God chose another king, and his name is David. So it says in chapter 13, verse 14, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, talking about David, And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because Saul has not kept what the Lord commanded. So that's what's been going on, okay? It's a bit like if you you ever um, got a big strawberry from Costco or something, like those giant, huge ones, and picked out what you think is the best one, and you went to take a bite out of it, and it just tasted terrible. doesn't happen very often at Costco. Costco are good people. But occasionally... uh, We'll edit that out. No. Occasionally, uh, a fruit that looks really good, you take a bite and it kind of tastes nasty or it tastes like something's wrong. Or there's other ones that don't look as impressive, but you get them and you take a bite and you're like, oh, that was the perfect strawberry or pear or whatever it is. Have you ever had that happen? Or the way it looked didn't, didn't relate to what it was actually, the value of it or what it was worth. And that's a bit what's going on with this guy, Saul and David. Um, at this point, David is still kind of the secret king, but he is, he's the one who has the, in, he, on the inside, his heart is right with God. 
Saul looks really impressive on the outside, but he's rotten in the middle. And so we're going to see how uh, this, this passage this morning is a big step for this new and up-and-coming king, David, uh, to, to walk into his, uh, into his kingdom. So there's three different things we're going to cover. Uh, first, we're going to see a picture of two different people, uh, David and Goliath. So we call that a scary warrior and a wimpy little brother. That's what we're going to see. That's our first thing. Those two things are contrasted. Then we're going to get to the heart of the matter, what the point of this Bible passage is, and then we'll see who the battle belongs to. Okay, so um, a little bit differently this morning. Uh, we're not going to read it all in one shot. It's a big chapter, and we're going to read portions of it. So uh, you can stay seated. We revere the Word of God still. We're just going to read it in chunks this week, a little out of the ordinary. So open in your Bibles to verse Samuel 17. And we're going to see in verses 2 through 11 this first character, this Goliath guy and what's going on. Here's what it says. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. That was the nation that was fighting against them all the time. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now let's stop there and look at this Goliath character. He is huge. He is nine and a half feet tall. He's wearing 126 pounds of armor. Just the tip of his spear, the iron part, the part that's going to penetrate, is 16 pounds. Not only that, but he's described as this champion. He's a a veteran. He's done this before. He, He has lots of experience and this is kind of the Philistines, the bad guys' plan. They say, if we can get another nation on the other side of that valley, and we could put all of, our, all of our chances in this one guy, and they put all their chances in one guy, I bet we'll win. And the way that they viewed battle was even a little battle like this was kind of determined by the gods. So it was likely that this actually would have worked with other nations. That if Goliath defeated their best soldier, then they would be able to take over. So this was their plan, and it seemed to really work on Israel, because they were shaking in their boots. They were terrified of this guy, as you can imagine. It's funny that they, you know why they picked Saul? Because he was really tall and impressive. But now, 
He doesn't seem all that tall and all that impressive, does he? And now the reason they chose him is kind of seeming like a pretty silly reason. Well, then there's David, and we get to learn about him in verses 12 through 30. And we won't read all of this. We'll read a little bit in a minute. But David uh, is the baby of the family, and he's a really scary musician. It's terrifying, I know. <laughs> he played instruments, and he helped play for Saul to keep him from going crazy. And his three older brothers, they were off fighting with Saul because they were big and tall and impressive, and he was home watching the sheep and taking turns playing instruments and watching sheep. Not a very intimidating career. No offense to musicians. <laughs> but one day, uh, David's father, he asked him to, to go and deliver some grain and cheese to his brothers, who were the ones who were bravely fighting Saul. And so he gets his sack of grain and his cheese, and he goes and he gives them the supplies. But he does something that most little brothers would do, which is he drops the stuff off, and then he wants to go see what's, what's happening. He wants to go see the fight and where it is. And so he goes to the front line and he finds his brothers and he's asking them about what's going on and what does it look like and what does it sound like probably. He's really curious. And he happens to be there when Goliath comes out and gives his little make fun of Israel speech, which he did for 40 days in a row without any response. So from there, I want to pick it up in verse 26 and read through 30. A little more about David and what he's like. So after Goliath gives this speech, it says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard... When he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Let's stop there. So David's response was totally different than how the people of Israel responded. His response was, how dare this Philistine say that about God's army? How dare he do that? We've got to do something about this. The cheese deliverer. Come on, guys. <laughs> and everyone just ignores David and his brothers do what most older brothers would do, which is stop pestering us. David, you found some excuse to come here and watch the battle, but get out of here. Go back to shepherding. And David is saying, I'm just asking questions. What's the... It's the classic older brother, little brother scene. And the reason it's in here is to, to help us understand the difference between David and Goliath. It's not just a haphazardly thrown in there. It's to help us see the difference. Now, what I'd like to do is to pick a Goliath and to pick a David from you guys. Now, I need, I need Goliath to be a little taller. I can't pick a child for that. <laughs> um, so, I need a Goliath. Who's willing to be a Goliath? Big. 
Come on, tall, scary. Aaron, Aaron's got a beard. There we go. Come on up, Aaron. It's intimidating. Good job, Schneid. Appreciate it. You, for your efforts and for your willingness, get to bear the literal sword. Sweet. Just don't kill anybody with that. <laughs> so you can stand over there. You're Goliath. And David. I need a David. Anybody? Uh, I see in the back there. Go ahead, come, come on forward. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, you. Come on forward. It's a girl, but you get the idea. Okay. <laughs> so you have this weapon. Good job. It's not quite as scary, but it's something. So you can stand over there. So, what we want to do is kind of compare the hearts of the people and what's, what's going on. Because the big part of this passage is what's going on. The, is it the outside that matters or is it the inside that matters? Okay, so Israel, they are panicking. They're looking at Goliath, right? They're looking at his nine and a half feet tall, at his beard, at his sword. They're, they're panicked. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed. It says they fled, they ran away. And Saul is actually acting a bit like and thinking like Goliath is thinking. Because Saul looks at, his, looks at Goliath and is intimidated. And he's thinking, oh, what's on the outside is what matters. He tells David later that he's too small. In fact, why don't we read that in verse 31. Look at this. 31 to 40. It says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock... I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. It says, then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And so David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So again, when we com compare and contrast these two, and when we think about what Saul's doing, the, the, the hearts of Israel and the hearts of Saul have failed because they're looking at Goliath. And that's why Saul says things like, David, you're too small, you're too young, you've got to get some armor on so this at least looks respectable when he slaughters you. Because he's looking at the outside. David, on the other hand, is looking to God. And he's getting courage for his heart. He says, let no man's heart fail him. He says, the armor isn't the issue. Keep the armor. See, let's ask a simple question. When it says that David is a man after God's own heart, what does it mean? What is it referring to? 
Well, it's referring to the fact that David cares about what God cares about. David cares about God's reputation. The things that move God move David. The things that anger God anger David. So David cares about what God cares about. David trusts that God has power. He describes God as the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. And that's David's plan. I'm going to come in the name of a powerful God because the battle actually belongs to him. That's his strategy, a totally different strategy than everyone else who's there. And David knows that God chooses to use the weak, that God saves not with sword and spear. His ways aren't normal. And David has experienced that when he's had these run-ins with lions and bears, he says. He's not saying, I, I, yeah, I've killed a bunch of lions and bears and I'm qualified for this and flexing his muscles. He's saying, I've been up against enemies that are way stronger than me and God's delivered me from them. And this is going to be just like that. That's what he's saying. That's why he's bringing that up. One commentator says that one might say that David has to fight three Goliaths in this chapter for in his older brother he faces the contempt of Goliath and in Saul he meets the mind of Goliath. So, that's the core um, beginning of this contrast between these two characters. You guys are doing great. Hang in there. They're like, when do we get to go back to our seats? In a minute. Uh, the, so, the second thing we're going to look at is the heart of the matter. And why is David not afraid of Goliath uh, when these trained soldiers? Well, because, again, he's looking to God. David is not afraid of Goliath because he's distracted by something greater and more important. It's more important than being crushed by Goliath. David is more concerned about what may happen to God's reputation than he is of his own life. And this point of, the point of this chapter has something to do with a certain word that keeps coming up. Okay, can anyone guess what that word is? Any guesses out there? Yeah. Uh, there's a word that keeps coming up. It's a verb. I want you to look down again, see if you can find it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a verb, man. it's a noun. Good guess, though. This is a good practice. When you read the Bible, if there's a word that keeps coming up again and again and again, and I'll let the awkward silence continue for just a little longer. Um, that's a, that's a, t- a sign, that's an indication of what's important to the writer. Against? Against, okay. There is some opposition. Honor. honor. Okay, Re- what's that? Deliver. Deliver. Oh, we're getting close. Deliver, honor, ag- against, defy. Yeah, all this... Defy was the the word I was looking for, but they're all kind of related, right? So look, in verse 10, in verse 26, in verse 36, in verse 45, the word defy, defy, defy. The Philistine gets up there and says, I defy the armies, and and David's mad because he defied the armies, and it keeps going back and forth between those things, okay? I'm going to let you guys have a seat. You're You're doing a fine job, but you can go have a seat. Good job. Aaron, Aaron will be very scary from this point forward. Okay, um, 
So defy, challenge, mock, uh, intimidate, make fun of. That's, what he's, that's what's happening. They're, they're, uh, Goliath is, is taking on uh, the army, and he's, what he's doing is he's really dishonoring God by doing that. And that's what really gets David's goat. That's what, that's what David is most concerned about. It would be a bit like um, a bully in a school. So if you show up at school, and you go every day, and you're intimidated by another student, every day they find a way to make fun of you, or every day they mess with your stuff, or every day they look for opportunities to make your life harder, and they do that. And each time it happens, and it, it's allowed, it kind of confirms what the bully is saying, or, or and thinking that you aren't as strong, and you're, you, you can just keep getting away with it day after day. Has anyone ever needed to stick up for a friend or a family member when they were being picked on? Raise your hand. If it's ever, have you ever had to stand up to someone? Or someone was bugging your brother or your sister or your close friend and you needed to intervene? I bet that you did that because you loved the person, right? It's not like, well, could I take them or not? Like, if we got in a battle, if we, what are my odds? Your concern was, they're dishonoring my friend. They're hurting my brother or my sister. And because of that, regardless of size, regardless of anything, you wanted to come to their defense. You could think of our army or that thing in, in that way. They're protecting our country from national bullies, and that's their job. The point of this, you guys, is that there's, there's some things that are worth fighting for. There's some things that are worth defending. There are some things that are worth going to blows over. There are. When someone is being challenged or, when a, or bullied or whatever you want to call it, something is being taken away from them. Their honor is being taken away from them. And they're being dishonored. Okay? And that's the issue here, really, is that as Goliath is taunting uh, taunting this, this army, what's happening is the, the, the army that represents the God of the universe is suffering shame. And day after day after day after day, Goliath is saying, in effect, your God isn't strong enough to do anything about this. Or your God isn't close enough to do anything about this. And the army of Israel is suffering shame as a result. They're suffering dishonor. People actually think that, it, that it's possible to dishonor God and get away with it. Okay? But it really isn't. God doesn't give up his honor to anybody. He defends his honor and you can't bully or intimidate or pick on God. You can't do it. No matter how hard you try. You can pick on his people for a while. You can do that. But there's a whole line of people in the Bible who tried to pick a fight with God and lost. Like Pharaoh. Or Haman. Or any number of characters. See, God's honor is not taken from him. Ever. The situation is kind of making him look bad in some ways. It's making him look weak. It's making him look like he's not around, like he doesn't know what to do. But then we come 
to the best part of the story. Look in verse 41. Let's read through verse 54. Here's what it says. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David when his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. See, Goliath just keeps doing to David what he's been doing towards Israel. Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. He didn't have a sword at that point, but God would figure that out. (laughs) I love that part. Keep going. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines to this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Could not be more different. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Well... The battle turns out to be the Lord's, right? Despite all of Goliath's bragging. Now, who won the battle? God won the battle, right? We can think that that David did. Uh, But actually, God wins the battle. God is the hero. And we have to be really careful not to start thinking like Saul and start thinking like Goliath. and like, wow, David was really good with that slingshot. The reason that worked is not because David was good with a slingshot. (laughs) The reason that worked is because God was protecting his honor through a man whose heart was fully his. That's why that worked. David's whole reason for fighting was because God was offended and dishonored. And so God is the hero. Isn't that really cool at the end? When David promises to cut off his head, but he has no sword, and he actually uses the thing that Goliath was so confident in to kill Goliath. Isn't that interesting? So confident in his ability 
to destroy this little guy, David, was Goliath, and yet it was his own weapon that David used to kill him. Now, let's talk about what this means. Uh, What does this mean for us? Here's what it means. God defends those who honor his name. God defends those who honor his name. You know, an important, important part of following Jesus and living for God is, is caring about what's happening to God's reputation. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. We talk about God's glory and God's fame and all this stuff, but if you think about it in terms of God's reputation, in a, in a positive sense, it's, um, it's the prayer, hallowed be thy name. Or God, I pray that your fame and your worth and your glory gets, gets spread out everywhere and more and more people know it and know you and know what you're like. That's what that prayer is. That's a positive sense of that. But it's also responding when God's name is dishonored, that we respond to that as well, that we're grieved. Let me ask you this. Do you notice when God's name is dishonored? When his reputation is discredited? When people talk badly about God? You see, a heart for God wants to defend the reputation of God. And we don't do this because God can't do a good job of defending himself. Clearly, he can, right? It's not a power problem. Again, you're not standing up for your little sister and, 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 and defending her honor to, to some bigger boy because you think you can beat that boy. You're doing it because you love your sister. And the reason you're defending God's reputation is not because he needs the help. It's because you love him. And hallowed be your name has been something you've that's kind of gotten into you as a follower of Jesus. So how should we respond when God is being dishonored? You know, should we all go out and buy some slingshots and like be ready to roll <laughs> at a moment's notice? <laughs> Everyone's like, yes. No, that would actually be a bad idea, just to be really clear. That would dishonor God. Um, but how should we respond? I think we should respond with a prayerful thoughtful conviction to consider how we are to defend God's reputation. Now, we don't want to do that for us. Sometimes we get offended because uh, God's name or God is being spoken poorly of, and we're focused more on ourselves than we are on God's glory. We need to watch out for that. But our offense and anger at God's name should fuel a response that that should actually help other people know him and love him. So when kids at school are talking poorly about God, we can't actually speak up in that moment. When your coworkers are mocking something about God or Christianity, we can't actually speak up in that moment. When you're put in a situation where people are asking you to compromise what you know would be pleasing to God, I want you to watch that YouTube video that they think is so hilarious, but you know it's going to dishonor him. Or if they ask you to compromise your integrity in some way that you think you know that God would not be pleased by, we should prayerfully respond with conviction and thought. So the first instinct is to pray. God, what do you want me to do? I don't want to just lash out. I loved what Rick said last week, and we should remember it, that God is always pleased and can do much with someone whose heart is entirely his. 
And the reality is in a moment of defending God's glory, it's probably going to be the case that you'll be a little bit scared. I'm guessing that David, like looking at Goliath, was a little bit scared. I mean, there's not much indication of that in the text. But how do you look at a nine and a half foot guy who's like wearing all this stuff that you don't have and not be afraid to some degree, right? So I don't think we wait to defend God's honor you know, until the time when we feel like, oh, there's no, no anxiety in me about this at all. No, we need to jump in. Even when we're a bit scared, you feel weak, well, God uses weakness. Paul says that his power is made perfect in weakness. And that Paul boasts all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses. Listen to this. One guy said, what matters is not whether you have the best weapons, but whether you have the real God. In fact, your inadequacy may be precisely your qualification for serving God, for his strength shines most brightly behind the foreground of your weakness. So, what do we want to remember from this? That God defends those who honor his name. And wanting to defend his name has to do with our hearts. And if our hearts are fully for him and and with him, then we're going to be caring about the things that he cares about and angered by the things that he's angered about. And that includes when his glory is violated. Finally, just in wrapping up, we see Jesus in this story, don't we? Our great enemy, Satan, stands before us, mocking us and tempting us and making fun of the gospel and using every way that he can to discourage us. He likes to challenge God's glory. He is daunting. Sin is everywhere, including in us, and it seems like things are not going well. But then a seemingly weak Savior steps forward And in perfect obedience to the Father, through submission and death for our sin, he conquers Satan and sin by resurrecting from the grave. And Satan and sin are slain like Goliath is slain. I mean, to think about the finality of that moment. What were the Philistines thinking when their champion was dead with his head cut off? You know what I mean? That's a sense of finality. That's a victory that's definitive. (laughs) And Jesus Christ has accomplished what no one else could have accomplished. And now we're just mopping up with him. That's all we're doing now for that final day when he returns. That's what Israel did, right? As soon as that definitive battle was won, then it, it, it... Uh, encouraged and and emboldened the people of Israel and they went and they chased down the Philistines and they fought with them because they knew that the victory was theirs. Much like the victory is ours in Christ. And folks, it's just a matter of time. To be able to say that in the history of salvation is an incredible thing. So, let us remember to see Jesus in this text. Let us remember to see that God is the hero of this text. And to remember, ultimately, that God defends those who honor his name. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, for stories like this. They're not just made up fairy tales. This really happened. 
in a real place with real people and a real outcome. And God, you used the grain and cheese deliverer to deliver your people. You can do whatever you want. And you will use whoever is willing to be used, whose heart is fully yours, God. Thank you that that is your qualification. And that we don't have to be impressive and we don't have to have figured everything out and we don't have to do everything right. And we don't. None of that is true, God. You want people whose hearts are fully yours. And that is something, God, that you can bring about in our lives. Father, would you help us this week to, to sift through these things, to notice opportunities to defend the honor of Jesus Christ and of, of the gospel. I pray that we wouldn't be foolish in that, that we wouldn't um, be led by the flesh in that, but that your Holy Spirit would grant us a boldness to speak up and say, I have a different opinion about that. And actually, I know the God you're speaking of right now. Let me tell you about him. God, give us courage that, that we might be able to address the ways that, that both subtle and, and blatant uh, ways that your name is dishonored. God, I pray you'd help us to discover things even in our own lives that, that we do or say that, that lead to uh, discrediting your reputation. Father, help us to think in those terms as your people. I pray for the students here. I pray uh, for those in elementary school and junior high and high school. God, that you'd empower them. Give them strength. Give them courage. What a time to be uh, in a culture uh, as ours. And I pray you just grant them a a willingness to to be alone at times in what it means to follow you. Help them to, to take up that cross of temporary shame for eternal salvation. That they would confess you and confess your name so that you would confess theirs when you return. Thank you for the ways that you're at work in our church and in us. God, I pray you continue to, to reveal your plans uh, for our church and, and for what you're doing in our area. We thank you that you've placed us in a, in a spot that's hard, that the gospel is, is, is tough ground to, to till and to sow here. And God, I just pray that 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 reality would drive us to to notice how dependent on you that we are. God, we need you. We absolutely need you. And so would you help us as a church to be influential and to be uh, brave and courageous as your people this week. We need your help to do that. God, we're weak in ourselves. So use our willingness and our weakness to do what you want. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.